The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Are you filled with the knowledge of the will of God in your life? Do you walk each day knowing the will of God for that moment? Or do you walk just as the door opens before you and as opportunities present themselves and 
just doing what you're thinking you're supposed to do. How do you know God's will? How do you walk day by day in the full assurance of God's will? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, it is the cry of my heart that in every moment I should know thy will. Lord, you said that you only spoke what the Father gave you, and you only did what the Father directed you to do. So obviously you had a very close connection with the Father, and he instructed you in his will. I pray, Father, that each of us today will grow in understanding, but not just understanding, that we would grow in a determination that we will walk only in your will and that we will be filled with the knowledge of that will, that it won't be a mystery to us, that it will be very clear, this is the way, walk ye in it, as your word says. Lord, thank you. I ask your blessing now on each person who listens to this broadcast that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive the word of the Holy Spirit that he would speak into us, into our minds. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Colossians, the first chapter. I'll begin with verse 9. We do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness or the removal, ephemi in the Greek, literally, we have redemption through his blood and the removal of sins. We need to know what God's will is. I just read today a report of a young woman, an Islamic woman, and she tried to be a suicide bomber, and the bomb didn't go off. With great sadness, she spoke of her desire to only please Allah and to go and be with Allah. I understand that 
I only want to please Jesus, and I want to go and please Jesus in everything I do and everything I say, and I want to go and be with Jesus. But what darkness to think that my way of being with God is to murder other people. Such a darkness has come in our land. Such an ugliness. It's this deception that we must be very clear about. I've given you a radical example, but it's repeated time after time. There is a hunger in our heart for God, whether we call him Buddha or whether we call him Allah. They're all false gods. We must know the truth. And we must have the revelation of God regarding that truth. And as the revelation of God comes, he shows us Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, who died on Calvary, but who is resurrected, who is living. All of the other gods are dead. Muhammad is not going to come back. He's dead. Buddha is not going to come back. He's dead. Jesus Christ is the only God who is resurrected and by his resurrection demonstrated his victory over all death. Now, we need to know what his will is that we could walk with him in such a way that we could have our sins removed that we could walk clean before him. There is such a compromise today with darkness. My prayer is that you would be totally removed from all darkness and filled with the full knowledge of the will of God and that you would obey that will of God in every respect, that you would not be about your own business that you'd not be about doing what you think you want that will bring pleasure to your life, but rather that you will be about the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want to share with you again today from Pilgrim's Progress this wonderful number one allegory in the English language written back in the 1600s. John Bunyan sat in prison for six years because he preached the gospel. And then after he was released, they said, now if you stop preaching, you can stay out of prison. But he immediately began to preach again. And they put him in prison for another six years. He knew what it was to suffer. These things that I'm going to share with you from his book, Pilgrim's Progress, this allegory, point to something much deeper than just the superficial story. Let's hear the story, and then let's try to go deeper and understand what the will of God is and how to begin to walk that out in fullness. I'm going to share with you from a a chapter entitled 
confronting worldly attachments. For it's the worldly attachments that have drawn our hearts away from Jesus. And those worldly attachments are going to have to be cut. A careful examination must ensue. And then decisions about how we're going to walk must be made. He's speaking here, Mr. Byens. You know what Mr. Byens is. By any man, any end necessary to accomplish my pleasure and my comfort. And of course, Christian and hopeful would not agree with that. Mr. Byens describes them as they conclude that it is their duty to rush ahead on their journey in all weather without waiting for favorable wind or tide. They would risk all in a moment for God, while I, on the other hand, am taking advantage of all moments to secure my life and my estate. Now this is a very clear statement by Bunyan. Regarding the behavior of our lives, and we must look carefully at the actual behavior of our heart and our life is your first cry for the kingdom of God, for the Lord? Or is your first cry to secure your life, your estate, to earn the money? What is the first cry of your heart? Are you risking everything for the kingdom of God? He continues, they are holding their notions, though all other men are against them. But I am for religion so far as the times and my safety will bear it. Now, now this describes most who call themselves Christians today. Does it describe you? Be honest. Look at your heart. Are you for a form of religion with no power? Do you go as far with your religion as it is safe for you where it does not impinge on your finances and your ability to pay your mortgage or your car loan? Do you first consider that you must provide for yourself and your family and that is your primary task? Before building the kingdom of God? Do you say, I must have everything arranged properly in my life before I can preach the word? Do I have to make certain that I am covered before I'm free then in the excess of my energy and time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is what Mr. Bayan says. And he criticizes hopeful and faithful because he says that's not their philosophy. Their first cry is for Jesus. Their first cry is to proclaim the gospel. This was Bunyan's cry. So he spent 12 years in jail. How did he provide for his family while he was in jail? Well, during those last six years, during the first six years, his wife died. He had to find a way to take care of his children. While he was out of prison, he married another woman. And now he has to find a way to provide for her and the children. And so 
she brings to the prison the elements necessary for him to very carefully spin shoelaces. And then she takes the shoelaces to the market and sells them. Now, you can tell this is not a very profitable enterprise, but it put food on the table. But that was not his first interest. His first interest was in writing this book, the story of Christian as he leaves the city of destruction and makes his way to the promised land. His first cry is to preach every Sunday to those who stand outside in the heat and the cold as he proclaims the gospel through an open window high up in his prison cell. What I've just described for you is a is a modern division, and there are a very small number of people who say the first priority of their heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you in that very small group, or are you a consumer of religion, allowing it to comfort you in the midst of your turmoil or trials, trying to use the gospel of Jesus Christ to become prosperous. Do you see what the issue is? How are you with Jesus? Who have you won to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where is the company of people you have brought to Jesus? Some of you have not brought one person. Why? Because your first priority is not the gospel of Jesus Christ you would not have wanted to walk with Christian and hopeful. You would have wanted to hang back and walk with Mr. Byens. Now, as others join with Mr. Byens, like Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, Mr. Save-All, in order to be prosperous. They are talking together. Mr. Byans said to the friends who have just joined him, My friends, we're all on the same pilgrimage. To help pass the time, I'd like to propose a question to you. Suppose a man a minister or a tradesman or such, should have an opportunity to get a blessing, to improve his station in life by becoming extremely zealous in some point of religion. Let's suppose that that religious point is something about which he has no particular interest, but by appearing to be interested, he can gain an advantage, either financial or otherwise. The question I put to you is this. Can he pretend to be interested and remain an upstandingly honest man? Can a Christian pretend? And I want to stop and simply note that if your first interest is not the proclamation of the gospel, if your first interest is not the work of the gospel, If your first concern 
is not to walk in righteousness before God and minister to the needs of others. If that's not your first goal, you are a pretend Christian. You're not a real one. And you have not had your sins removed. You are still under condemnation. Read carefully the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Money Love noted, I see what your question is getting at, and with these gentlemen's permission, I'll endeavor to give you an answer. First, I will speak to your question as it concerns a minister. Suppose a minister, a worthy man, but someone with a very small income, has a desire to increase in wealth and influence. Suppose that he sees an opportunity for achieving this goal by becoming more studious, by preaching more frequently and more zealously, and modifying some of his principles in order to fit in with the preferences and temperament of his congregation. I see no reason why he cannot do this, and a lot more if needed, while still remaining an honest man. And here are the reasons why. 1. His desire of a greater income is lawful. This cannot be contradicted, since it is set forth before him by province. He should take advantage of the opportunity without questioning his conscience. Besides, his desire for more income makes him more studious, more zealous in preaching, and so on, and this makes him a better man. Yet it makes him a better man in all aspects of his life, which all are according to the will of God. Now, as for his modifying his views and principles to make himself more acceptable to his people, this says three good things about the man. It shows that he is self-denying in temperament of a sweet and winning disposition and thus more fit for ministerial duties. And four... I conclude that a minister who exchanges a small thing for a great thing should not be judged as coveting. Rather, since his decision results in self-improvement and industry, he should be commended as one who pursues his call, and the opportunity should be seen as something that will help him do good. And now to the second part of the question which concerns the tradesman you mentioned. Suppose this man is in a trade that makes him very little money. But by becoming religious, he can improve his income. Perhaps he can even get a rich wife and get better customers, bringing them into his shop. For my part, I see no reason why this may not be lawfully done. For these reasons, one, to become religious is a virtue by whatever means it happens. Two, it is not lawful, it is not unlawful to marry a rich wife and to encourage a better class of customers to do business in his shop. Besides, the man who gets these by becoming religious gets something that is good for those who are good by becoming good himself. He gets a good wife, he gets good customers, he gets a good income, and all of this by becoming religious which is good. Therefore, to become religious, to get all these, is a good and profitable plan. 
Mr. Moneylover's answer to Mr. Byan's question was highly applauded by all. They all concluded that it was such a wholesome and advantageous answer that no one would be able to contradict it. And since Christian and Hopeful were still within calling distance, although ahead, they all agreed to pose the question and answers to them since they thought that both of them had been rude in their opposition to Mr. Byan's. So they called loudly after Christian and Hopeful, who stopped and waited for them. As the three men drew near, they decided that Mr. Hold the World, and not Mr. Byans, should propose the question to Christian and Hopeful to avoid any prejudice that might remain between Mr. Byans and them. So they came up to each other, and after a short greeting, Mr. Hold the World proposed the question to Christian and Hopeful, and asked them to answer it if they could. Then said Christian, Even a babe in religion could answer ten thousand such questions. For if it is unlawful to follow Christ for loaves, as it says in John 6, how much more is it to make him and religion into a self-serving device for getting and enjoying the world? Only heathens, hypocrites, and devils and witches are of your opinion. The heathens, Hamor and Shemrek, coveted the daughters of the cattle and the cattle of Jacob, and when they saw that there was no way to get them by being, but by becoming circumcised, they said to their companions, If every male of us be circumcised as they are circumcised, Will not their cattle and their property and every beast of theirs be ours? Jacob's daughters and cattle were what the heathen wanted, and they used Jacob's religion as a guise to try to get it. You can read the whole story in Genesis <clears throat> pardon me, 34, verses 20, 23 to 53, 23. Well, the first part of the answer is pretty painful. That we're not to use the Christian faith as a means of promoting our flesh. A pastor serving in a congregation that desperately needs him in a place of great upheaval, in the midst of activities that require his attention, suddenly is invited to a much larger, more prestigious church. He'll have a better salary. He'll have a better situation. His workload will be less. Shouldn't he take that new call? Well, that depends on what the will of God is, right? So now he's going to have to determine what the will of God is and automatically know that his flesh is saying it's the will of God to go take this wonderful new calling where I will have more salary, where I will have more benefits, and where I'll have a much, much more prestigious place to serve 
But of course, he wouldn't say that. He would say, it will open up broader opportunities for ministry for me so I can do more good for the kingdom of God than I can do in this little church. So I can move from a congregation of 100 to a congregation of 500, and I have a much broader ministry. Oh, we fool ourselves so easily. We we don't search after the will of God. Grieves my heart to see men and women following after Jesus because they like the choir. They like the way the pastor preaches. They like the social friendship. They've not left their sin. They still walk in arrogance and bitterness before God. They still walk with self-righteousness. But in this church, they're recognized as somebody. They can give money and time. And they can enjoy all the benefits of this wonderful church and its programming and its concerts, its wonderful erudite preaching. That man is lost. That man is a hypocrite, self-serving, a devil. Do you see why? We must know what the will of God is. And the will of God is that we be fishers of men. That we not put filthy lucre at the top of our list. That we put at the very top the cross of Jesus Christ that we be crucified with Christ, that we be resurrected in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. He continues, the hypocritical Pharisees were also of this religion. Long prayers were their pretense, but their intent was to gain the houses and property of widows and their judgments The judgment from God was damnation. Judas the devil was also of this religion, and he would rather have had the possession of the money bag than Jesus. He was utterly lost, cast away, and became a son of perdition. Simon the witch was of this religion also. He wanted the Holy Ghost for the purpose of his own personal financial gain. And you can read in Acts the response of the Apostle Peter to his religion. Acts 8, verses 19 through 20. It occurs to me that when a man takes up religion for the world, it will be just as easy for him to throw away religion for the world. For just as Judas desired the world in becoming religious, so did he also sell religion and his master for the same. To answer the question as you have done, and to accept your answer as authentic, is it's heartbreaking, it's hypocritical, it's devilish. You will be rewarded according to your works. 
Then they stood staring at one another, unable to answer Christian. Hopeful also approved of the soundness of Christian's answer. So there was a great silence between them. So finally Christian and Hopeful turned, and they continued their journey toward the celestial city. But Mr. Byans and his company stayed behind. They were stunned by Christian's rebuke. Then Christian said to Hopeful, If these men cannot stand before the sentence of men, what will they do before the sentence of God? And if they are mute when the devil comes and tempts them, if they are if they are but vessels of clay, what will they do with the fires of hell that will come to devour them? And so Christian and Hopeful left them behind and walked until they came to a beautiful smooth plain called Ease. They traveled with much contentment. The plain was quite small, so they went through it very quickly. Oh, I sometimes say, Lord, would you give me a broad plain to cross of ease on this wilderness journey? Always the ease is short-lived, and we quickly are brought into another phase of being prepared for the heavenly host. On the far side of that plain was a, a hill called Lucre, and in that hill there was a silver mine, which some of the pilgrims had turned aside to see, and the ground near the brink of the pit was unstable, and many had stumbled into the pit, and they had suffered injuries leading to death. Then I saw in my dream that a little off the road over by the silver mine stood the gentleman Demas calling to passerbys to come and see, and when he saw Christian and hopeful, he shouted, Stop! Turn aside, I'll show you something. What could be so interesting to see that would turn us out of our way? Christian asked. Demas replied, Over here are men digging in a silver mine for treasure. If you will come and work a little, you will become rich. And Hopeful said, Well, let's go see. Not I, said Christian, for I've heard of this place and all the people who have died here digging for treasures. It is a trap that will slow pilgrims down on their journey. Then Christian called the Demas, saying, Is not this place dangerous? Hasn't it hindered many in their pilgrimage? Well, not very dangerous, except to those who are careless, Demas said, but not without blushing. Then said Christian to Hopeful, Let's not miss a step, but keep going on our way. Hopeful said, I will warrant you that when Mr. Byan comes here, and if he is given the same invitation as we, he will turn out to see this silver mine. Well, I have no doubt you are right, for his principles lead him that way, and the odds are a hundred to one that he dies there, observed Christian. Then Demas called again, saying, But will you not come over and just see? And Christian sternly answered, saying, Demas, you are an enemy of the way of the Lord, and you have already been condemned by the majesty's judges for turning out of the way 
and leading others to turn out of the way. Why then are you trying to bring us into a similar condemnation? Besides, if we turn aside, our Lord the King will certainly hear about it, and we will be put to shame. And when the time comes, when we ought to stand with boldness before him, Demas cried out again, saying that he was a brother like them on pilgrimage, and that if they would wait for just a little while, he would be happy to walk with them. And Christian asked, well, What is your name? Is it not the same by which I have called you? Yes, my name is Demas. I'm a son of Abraham. Christian asserted, I know you. Gehazi was your great-grandfather, and Judas was your father, and you have followed in their steps. It is a devilish prank that you use. Your father was hanged as a traitor, and you deserve no better. Assure yourself that when we come to the king, we will tell him about your behavior. Thus said Christian and hopeful, as they continued on their way. By this time, Bayans and his companions were again within sight, and at the first invitation they went over to Demas. Now whether they fell into the pit by looking over the brink, or whether they went down to the pit, whether they were smothered in the bottom of the pit by the vapors that came up from that place, I'm not certain. But this I know. They never again were seen along the way of pilgrims. And as I share this with you today, my heart is deeply stirred and troubled, knowing that many of you who listen to this broadcast have compromised with Demas, and you want to secure your finances more than you want to secure the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's easy with judgments and criticisms to justify oneself and one's behavior. I simply want to ask you a, a plain question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than money? Do you love Jesus more than recognition? Do you love Jesus more than comfort? Do you love Jesus more than your own ideas and your own opinions? Some of you are so full of your own opinions that there's no room for Jesus in your heart. You know everything. You think you have everything down pat. And yet you don't love Jesus with all your heart. But if I were to ask you, you'd say, oh, I'm good with Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. Well, on the other hand, you're doing everything you can to secure your finances. And you have no clue what God's will is in your life. You have no idea what your task is before Jesus and what he's going to ask you about what you're going to have to deal with when you come to that celestial city. Now I want to come right down to the very essence, the nub of what I'm trying to say to you, and it's found in the scriptures. 
It's found in Romans, the 12th chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Going to church on a Saturday or Sunday is not your spiritual act of worship. Taking communion or the Eucharist is not your spiritual act of worship. Singing praise to Jesus, that's not your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship is offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Holy, that is set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you determined in your heart that your only goal is to seek the face of Jesus Christ, to be given wholly over to him? Paul goes on. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Let me help you with some definitions. This is Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform, that is, don't fashion yourself after the likeness of this world. Don't fashion yourself after the images and the styles and the behaviors of this world. You are not of this world if you are called on pilgrimage on this, in this wilderness. If you're called on pilgrimage to follow Jesus and to serve him alone. And Paul is saying, don't fashion yourself after the ways of the world. And then he says, do not Fashion yourself any longer to the pattern of this world or this age. So the age we live on, the eon in the in the Greek, the age we live in now is the last age of earth's history. And the Apostle Paul is saying, in this eon that we now live in, and this word comes fresh to us, from the word of God. He's saying in the eon or the age in which we live, don't fashion yourself after the goals and objectives and patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing or the renovation of your mind. And that word transformed in the Greek is the same word we get the word metamorphosis from. It is literally, do not fashion yourself any longer to the pattern of this age, but be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind, by the renovation of your mind. Remember, I said yesterday, this battle is fought in your mind. Now, some people will falsely teach that the devil has been utterly defeated and has no power 
That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach, the book of James, that the devil is a lion going about seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants to devour you. He wants to kill you. How can he do that? By finding you out of the will of God, not knowing what the will of God is. Well, listen. If you are metamorphosed, and I'm going to come back to that, if your mind has been renovated to follow only Jesus, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If you are unable to determine the will of God, it is because you have other agendas running in your heart and in your mind, and you are seeking some kind of advantage for yourself. There is selfishness in your heart. A man said to me, I've been offered a very fine position. It will take me out of this city to another place. Would you pray that I will know the will of God? I said, yes. I will pray that God will make his will abundantly clear to you. But let me ask you, are you willing to obey the will of God as he reveals it to you? And if he reveals to you that you are to remain here in humble service before God, will you turn down a more lucrative opportunity? Will you turn aside from filthy lucre? Will you agree with me that whatever God's will is, and as he shares that with you, you will obey that will to the nth degree. You will obey Jesus. And he said, oh, yes, of course I'll do that. Later, he said, I've decided to go. I said, is it the will of God? Well, I don't know. How can you decide to go if you don't know if it's God's will? Well, I think it is God's will that I go. Well, what made you think so? Well, my salary will be much increased and it will be much easier for my family. Oh, so God's will is that you get more money. That's the problem, isn't it? Well, it may be God's will that he get more money. But he went about it the wrong way. He followed his own will. Not God's will. That's why I pray for you who listen to this broadcast that you will be filled with the utter fullness of the knowledge of God's will for your life. But I know that if you're going to be filled with the fullness of God's life, you're going to have to come and offer your body, your physical body, your spirit. You're going to have to offer that on the altar of burnt offering as a living sacrifice to God, holy, pleasing unto the Lord, that this is your spiritual act of worship. So what does metamorphosis mean? It means to appear as a new person with new habits, 
with new worship, with new service, with being a new person, a radical change through and through, complete change, both outward and inward. When a a monarch butterfly, and I've done this many times as a child, go out and look at the milkweed and find that beautiful chrysalis where the milkweed worm has, has formed that chrysalis and then hang it in a terrarium and watch as that worm emerges from that chrysalis, a beautiful monarch butterfly. I have never tired of watching for hours as a butterfly comes out of a chrysalis. I want you to be engaged in that born-again experience of total transformation, of being changed into a new person, of having all of your sin removed, of becoming a living sacrifice unto Jesus, where you don't withhold anything from him, where you lay it all on the altar of sacrifice, where you say, Jesus, I belong to you. You are everything to me, Jesus. I am yours. And then you will be filled with the utter fullness of the knowledge of the will of God. We're almost out of time for this broadcast today. I hope it's been helpful to you. Please share the broadcast with others. You can find it on the internet at nationalprayerchapel.com You can also go to YouTube and just put in National Prayer Chapel or Pastor Ray Greenley, and the YouTube will pop up. You can send that link to friends, neighbors. It's important that we do the work of the gospel and be filled with the full knowledge of his will. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me. I would love to hear from you. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. This broadcast comes every day by faith to you. I'm crying out to the Lord for you. I was up early this morning, and my heart cried was that you would know the will of God in your life and that you would obey it. That you would stop drifting with the current, the tide. That you would go against the tide and the wind. That you would begin to make changes in what you do and where you go, what you say, what you think, based on the word of God. And I urge you, read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. I'm just finishing 
This week I almost finished in the early hours of the morning the book of Revelation. And then I'll start again. And by the end of the year I'll have finished reading the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation two times. And then when we come to January I'm going to challenge you to read from Genesis to Revelation in one month, the month of January. It's necessary for us to read the Word and hide the Word in our hearts, to memorize Scripture, to walk in obedience to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord, I cry out today for every person listening to this broadcast, either on the radio or the internet or YouTubes. Lord, I pray that you will come in mighty power and reveal your will to each one and that they will not turn aside for personal advantage from your, from your will, that you will make known to them your desire for their life, that you will order their footsteps according to your will. You will make them fishers of men. Almighty God, some are broken today, some are discouraged I pray your encouragement and the balm of Gilead for each of them. Lord, some are sick. I just right now pray for you if you are sick in the name of Jesus. I proclaim healing and restoration. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.